The Three P Champions podcast is brought to you in part by Art in Motion, where we create moving pictures. Send us your family photos, home movies. Give us a call. We'll do a Zoom interview with you. Turn it into a loving, customized tribute. It'll be the greatest gift you'll ever give. You can find us at www.artinmotion.tv. Thanks so much. Hi, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the 3P Champions podcast. I'm Rob Stoller in Philadelphia. And I'm Greg Stern here in Seattle. My main man. Today's subject is a really sensational individual, as all these 3P individuals are. Carlos Bradley is a former NFL football player, played seven years in the league. But honestly, you wouldn't know it unless somebody told you, because Carlos does not talk much about himself per se. He happens to be a personal trainer at the health club I attend. And from the day I met him, he was a very welcoming, warm-hearted guy looking to help anybody. He's helped me without my even asking for it, because I would go in and just walk right onto the racquetball court and start playing. And he advised me to start using a warm-up routine prior to getting on the court. And he gave me a few exercises to do in the weight room. And it was really great advice. He's been very helpful to my kids even though he had no reason, but that's just the kind of guy he is. He's a helper. Like a lot of these people, he's a servant-minded individual. He's just excellent at what he does. In fact, he was selected as a former NFL player to train our troops overseas in the Middle East, Afghanistan. He's just a sensational guy. Greg, what do you think of Carlos? Uh, I love Carlos. I think the the audience will love to hear what he has to say about interacting and being a mentor to student athletes. That's kind of his passion. But no matter where he's at, whether it's in the fitness arena or out on a football field or in the boardroom, that guy's goal is to positively impact and mentor people. I love his his humbleness. And, you know, he'll talk about his, his upbringing and stuff. But it just seems like from the get-go, that guy had maturity about him in a way and a passion about helping people obviously he's a great athlete and we're always enamored by that but i'm more enamored with the human being is so i think the audience is going to love this conversation yeah i think typical of these 3p champions he doesn't speak about his prowess although i can tell the audience he was just inducted into the wake forest hall of fame from his football there but he's just a great guy and he really is uh, kind of a friend to everybody. I watch him interact at the gym, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. He's always friendly and always helpful. So without more talk about him, let's hear from him. Carlos Bradley on 3P Champions Podcast. I think my purpose is really to help. I've been fortunate enough to have lived a certain life being, a, being an athlete, being a student athlete. I think that's allowed me to have the attention of the younger population that may think they want to be a student athlete. It allows me to be able to address them and, and to help give them some direction in their life from being a high school All-American to becoming a collegiate All-American and then being fortunate enough to play six years in the NFL. I think Athletes or student athletes 
that think that's the life they want to live, how often do you get to touch one of those people? What I've tried to do in my life is at every stage, I've tried to go back and present myself to the student athlete and say, you know, this is what I did. This is what I had to do to get to the next level. You know, I had to pay attention to my academics. I had to pay attention to my training and my nutrition for me to get to the next level. So I feel that my purpose is to help direct and guide the next generation, to give them some mentoring, some direction in in where they want to go and how they're going to get there. So me and a couple of my friends, Dr. Joe Page and Fred Dukes, 1995, we formed International Student Athlete Academy, the nonprofit organization that I'm a part of that helps student athletes academically and athletically through mentoring, through life skills, through chosen learning techniques that work, but really in embracing them and giving them the in-between pieces, the nurturing, the when you're in trouble one night, what am I going to do? The what decision should I make right or wrong? Should I follow my buddies? Should I not? You know, when I was in high school, I was helping kids in middle school. When I went to college, I would come back and talk to the high school kids. And then when I went to the pros, I would talk to the high school and the college kids. So it was always trying to say, hey, you can make this if you follow a certain path. It's just not going to find you. Something can trip you up and you not be able to get to the next level. Where did the desire to help come from? I think partly it came from my mother because my mother was a giver. My mother was the kind of person that would see a kid dirty in the street and clean their face. She, you know, would bring people home and feed them. She would, would take our clothes and give them the people that had less. So I think it's something that she instilled. You know, my sister worked for the public defenders for years. Now she works for the district attorney. My Two of my sisters worked in the city. One still works for the public defenders. So we've always been in roles in helping and giving and trying to trying to help others. So I really think it initially came from our mother. What were you like as a kid? <laughs> That's funny you say that. My friends that have known me since I was young, they say that I never really was a kid <laughs> because when I was young, I was always kind of like directed and felt like I had to get things done. It was go to school and learn. And then once I took on athletics. First, I was running track when I was in middle school. When I was in high school, I was playing football and running track. But I was just, like in the off seasons, I was always just working out to try to get better. It never really was a lot of just down, mess around, huh. playtime. Um, I wasn't much, really like yeah. I was going to say to Greg, how much does this sound like Derek Sparks and Tim and I was just writing it down. Hey, first of all, Carlos, nice to meet you. I read a little bit about you that I could. Yeah, you hit a couple of nerves on me right now from previous people I've talked to. The three there and Coach Dale Brown and Tim Manson, Derek Sparks, Anthony Pryor. You know, one big thing for us we've always talked about was mentorship. Obviously, you're doing that. 
And when we talked about the others, it, it came right. back was mothers and how strong they were. And that's where they got the example first. And I always find that fascinating because I always say to my kids, hey, there's nothing like a mother's love, but I think mothers are tougher than fathers at some level. So uh, I'm glad to hear you say that same thing, but I want to ask you more about the mentorship. I know you are one, but beyond your your parents or your family, who did you look up to and who mentored you? Well, it always seemed to be a man in school that would gravitate to me. When I first was in like ninth grade, there was there was a one teacher, Mr. Horowitz. He wanted to work out. So then he started mentoring me in how to work out correctly and how to be directed and guided. And then when I got further in high school, Mr. Coster, Mr. Donald Coster, who was, he ended up being my track coach and my football coach. He was the assistant head coach. Ben Johnston was the head coach. Don Coster was the defensive coach at Germantown High. And he like literally took me under his wing and said, okay, I see something here. I see something special in you. And we spent a lot of time together talking, nurturing me. We would talk before the games. He would take my ankles before the game. We would talk. And then when I was, I was a senior at 16. And at 16, he said, you know, you can feel or it looks like you see something different than I do in the football game. You call the game. So instead of him calling, bringing in any signals, he said, Carla, these are the things, the defense I want you to to run. This is what I want you to look at. And he just gave me the confidence to, to be the leader that I try to be to, to give direction all the time. So I would call all the defenses when I was in the game. And then from that point, from 16, all the way up to the pros, I was always the signal caller. Like mm-hmm. when I went to college, I was the signal caller. When I went to the pros, it ended up being the same thing. They had somebody else calling the signals, but they didn't do it as well. So then the coach just said, well, look, you do it. You make the calls. You do it. So that early confidence is what. Hey, Carlos, you know, in anything, you know, someone believing in you who gave you confidence at such an early age. Right. That seems to be the recipe a lot of these guys have. Right. People want direction. People need a leader. And if you choose to be the leader, that's a lot of responsibility. So you have to be correct in the way you present yourself, the way you direct others, and by the example that you set. So I've tried to do that through my mentoring of the youth. You know, football was just the catalyst, but then the rest of life. So, you know, I work as a trainer now. And then All the younger trainers that are there, I basically have been nurturing. So I've been bringing them along in their professional lives, in being professional, but actually being able to have fun with it also, Mm. to um, working long hours, showing them that it takes dedication to it, to being committed to my my clients, letting them know that I'm going to be there. So they got to be there for their clients. But it, it carries over with your family, you know, if. If I'm the leader in my family, I got to direct them. I got to help them. I got to give them guidance and what's right and what's wrong. I'll get clients now and they'll say, you know, I want you to train me, but I'm looking for something else. And the something else really becomes life guidance. It comes out of people seeing something in you that they want in them. Hey, Carlos, something that I already know about you is that 
you can go to any school in the world and get a degree about something, but you are a life coach and have been a life coach your whole life. Right. You're a life coach already, man. Yeah. It changes forms all the time. That really is what it is. It is life coaching, you know, through fitness or whatever you want to say. You know, I, I take what I do seriously. I take what I try to give seriously. I've, I've watched it help businessmen go into meetings more confident. I've seen housewives become fitness professionals be, and that have never done anything else in their life, but they needed to speak up for themselves. So, you know, I've seen kids go from trying to kill themselves to heading off to college, you know, so structure, discipline, order, confidence, being comfortable in your own skin goes a long way. I can tell you without any question that the message is important, but oftentimes it's how the message is delivered that's even more important. And I know from just watching you, right? you make everybody feel important. You make everybody feel like you value their time. And that's a big part of being successful. That's a big part of being a leader is serving. Right. There are people you're trying to help. And I think right. everybody knows that your purpose in working with them is trying to make them better. It's got nothing to do right. with trying to make you better. You've already right. kind of been to the top of the mountain and you're not a guy that walks around all Mr. Big stuff, even though you could, but you don't. And I think that's what draws people to you is this guy is the coolest guy around, but he makes me feel important. Yeah, a couple of my buddies, they, they thank you, Rob. They say the same thing. And I just try to, you know, I want to be respected, but I try to treat everybody with respect. Sometimes a guy will, normally a, a new trainer will come in the gym or something. They'll go, oh, I want to, they told me about you. I'm going to be better than you. I want to be better than, and I'll say, okay. That's fine that that's what you want to do. They usually last about three months <laughs> and, then, and they can't work as hard. They can't do as much. They can't embrace people as well. Yeah. They can't help people as well. And because they make it about them. Right. And like you said, Rob, it's not about me. I'm trying to make you better in however you need to be better. And through fitness, I know you can feel better, exude a different person. And then you can conduct your life in a better, more constructive way. You represent all the things we're talking about. And I'm not trying to make you sound like other guys we've talked to. But the fact is, they're all, by and large, they're all pretty remarkable. People who have also risen to the top. But the things you all have in common are all character things. And a lot of them come out of similar backgrounds. So many people have been raised by their moms. Right, right. Showed them, showed them principle. My mother would always say, I would ask, Mom, what, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to be when I grow up? What? And she would always say, all I want you to do is work hard and be the best that you can be. If you choose to be a trash man, be the best trash man. If you choose to be the mailman, be the best mailman. Just try to be the best that you can be. So I think in throughout my life and just trying to be the best at whatever I could be, that's why there was always some focus. That was always why there was a, you know, something underlining and in a direction I was trying to head in because I had to try to be the best that, that I could be. That was it. That's yeah. hard enough.
Mm. To get everything out of yourself, that's hard enough. Tell us a little bit about being selected as one of three NFL alum to go overseas and work with the servicemen. That, that had to be like an amazing experience. Oh my gosh, that a few years back, the NFL has this careers after you play. So they try to keep you involved in things. So I had already started the CrossFit gym where I work now at AFC. And so the NFL was sponsoring the, uh, to get your certification in CrossFit training. They were offering all retired players this to get this. And so when I got the email, you know, I said, well, I already have this. Thank you, but no thank you. So then they called me and said, well, Carlos, since you have this already, why don't you help us? Why don't you come down to D.C. and look at three or four of the gyms that we have that other NFL players are involved in and see what you think? So I went down, checked it out. Everything was good. But then that led to the tour. And then when the tour started, out of 18,000 retired members, they picked me and two other guys that were fitness guys, but they picked me to be the head trainer for the group. So, I mean, it was like I'm going over to Djibouti, Africa, to Istanbul, Turkey, to Qatar, to Bahrain, to Kuwait. And I'm with Marines, Army men. And so I'm real excited about, you know, whoa, it's going to, you know, somebody, these guys are going to be ready. They're going to be ready to go. So I get out there like the first day to train these guys. And, and I'm in the middle of the, the, the floor warming up. I'm stretching, I'm moving. And then the guy comes over and said, all right, we're ready to start, sir. Do you, would you like the microphone? I'm saying, I don't need no damn microphone. And I just, so everybody up, let's go. So then we start working out and I immediately find out that they are not ready to work out like this. Because after they get out of boot camp, the military basically becomes like a job. So if you're a computer guy, girl, if you work in, you know, whatever your job is, you really just start going to do your job. And then you have some maintenance training that you do once every three months. But when they went through basic was when they were really, really in shape. So after our workout and, and, you know, after about 30 minutes of really kind of pushing them around a little bit, they said, you need to be here full time because we need somebody like this on the regular basis. So they all have like fitness centers all around, but nobody really challenges them to do anything. So, I mean, it was quite the honor to one, be selected to go two to be the lead, the head trainer and to meet all these guys that some I've kept in touch with, but it was just a, an amazing honor. Amazing. Mm. Yeah. You got to see a lot of the world, man. War territory too. What was that like? Yeah. I went to these, you know, places, Saudi Arabia, places people don't get to go to regularly, but it was just amazing seeing the cultures and how people live. And it was pretty interesting. We got to Saudi Arabia one year and we were walking from our ride to the hotel and it was all this blood in the street. And we said, well, what's this blood from? And they said, oh, we had court yesterday. I, I said, what do you mean court? They said, we had court yesterday. 
Hannah Robbie's Code of Ethics, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So like the day before, if you were a robber, they cut off your hand. Oh, it was like right there in the street. Like yeah. it was, Damn. it was like serious. It was serious. So I'm saying, I'm glad I, we didn't need to be here yesterday to see any of that. Nope. No. So Carlos, you've done so many things yeah. and you kind of define success. What lies ahead for you? I'm involved with a group now called Safer Sports, and uh, we're trying to bring a safety device for, for football and all helmet collision sports. We're going to do that through my charity and a couple other charities also because we feel that the sport of football is kind of dying because just of all the head trauma, concussions, CTE, these things. So we want to try to help football in that sense. We want to keep exposing kids to ISAA, International Student Athlete Academy, helping more student athletes. So we want to continue giving back, continue growing in that respect and helping others mm. because we feel that's the healthiest way to go. Starting a nonprofit, I've worked with nonprofits my whole life. That's not an easy road. Oftentimes, the kids that have come through, like we used to have a camp every summer, the kids that have, that have come through our camp and have been through our workshops, they come back and work with us, and then they go on and create their own passing it forward, as you're saying, and it continues on. So the legacy continues on. What people forget with student-athletes is, all the in-between things, once you're you're focused on as a student athlete, could be 13, 14, 15 years old. So then your life becomes directed through your sport. And then there are a lot of pieces in between you might miss. Like I've, I've had guys that were going to the NBA that had never written a check before, don't know what their social security number is because they never used it. Mm. I mean, it's this little things in life that yes, your family should teach you also, but you fall through the cracks because you are looked at almost like a man when you're 15, 16, 17 years old, yeah. but you're so immature. Yeah. There's a lot more to learn, that, a lot more to learn and a lot more to just like. That's a topic I've had a number of discussions is that, and being an athlete, right? When, when you're naturally gifted nowadays at a young age, people are jumping on you to come play for their AU clubs or whatever. And in a short span of time, let's just say 10 to, to 20, you're the man. And they treat you like you're the man. And so at, at a certain age, you become this identity of this athlete, who you are. And like you're talking there, the development on the other side is not there. And we all know this. As you get to certain levels, there's more talent competition. You're going to get weeded out eventually. And even if you go through the NFL, you might be trying to 34. But if your only identity and knowledge and structure is about this sport – a lot of those guys going into things like depression and alcoholism because they can't be the same guy and they kind of go internal because they have no identity. That is exactly what happens. You have no identity. So like myself, when you get to the end of your career, you say, who am I? What am I? If you have not been engaging in your brain, which is why I try to impose on a student athlete to be a thinking athlete, if you just feel your body's going to always perform for you when your mind has to take over, you feel handicapped. Mm. So 
always think, always learn, always be a thinking athlete. And, and then when you, like myself, you have to redefine yourself. So when I retired from football for about six months to a year, I was kind of like, okay, what am I going to do next? I'm actually trying to figure it out. So in mentoring kids, I ended up at the Boys and Girls Club. So then I ended up becoming the athletic director at a Boys and Girls Club for 12 years while I was developing my training and still doing that. So I was still helping kids. I was still helping the youth. I was mentoring. That was all. And that's when we started the charity, when I was there and my two buddies were working at community colleges. So we saw the inadequacies with the student athletes on those levels. If you haven't decided that there's something else in life that you like or care about, you're going to have a problem. Mm -hmm. If it's always been about you and your body from, like you said, from 10 to 20, you're going to have a problem. So my thinking was, okay, well, now I'm getting ready to be the best athletic director. I'm going to teach these kids the most. I'm going to make sure they're thinking and learning. So it was all energies into being athletic director. And then my training was developing. And then I said, okay, that's where I need to move into. So then once I became a trainer for, I was always doing it, but not as just a hobby, then as a real job, then I say, let me try to be the best at this. So then that was my passion into being the best trainer and helping the adults. Now I had, the Boys and Girls Club, which I was still helping, even though I had left working there, went through my charity. And then I was now helping the adults as the personal trainer. So what I would say to, to athletes is even if you find yourself 20, 22, wow, I'm playing, I'm a professional athlete, what, what, what my life consists of, you have to stay focused on your job at hand, but you need to be developing other skills and developing your mind also into what do I want to do at some other point. And I think athletes are getting it now, partly because they make more money than we did. So in three to five years, you actually could retire if you did save your money. I know a number of basketball players that I trained they're looking into doing other things because at some point your body's going to let you down and then there needs to be a next phase to your life. Mm. I want to mention to you, you keep saying uh, student athletes, Jake was inducted into the NCAA National Student Athlete Society this week, like two days ago. Nice. So when you, when you see him at the gym, give him a little fist bump. And I really, I appreciate, and he does the attention you give them and again, making them feel like somebody making them feel important, proud of himself. So I appreciate that. No problem. Cause you know what I've always seen in him is he was always trying. And when I noticed that somebody's trying, I want them to put their efforts to the best of their ability. So if he's trying, let's make sure you're trying in the right direction. You got to work hard, but right. And your son was always one that if he even thought that something was a little wrong, he would go, Carlos, what do you think it is? Mm -hmm. And 
So he would always look for guidance too, which I, I take, I would say you are responsible for that because he's comfortable enough with himself to even ask good stuff. I will definitely congratulate him when I see him. I appreciate it. And we also talk about that as the importance of asking for help. I'm sure you, you've done it. You know, nobody gets there alone. Oh yeah. You know, like, like I said, how often do you get to touch someone that's gotten to the top, a professional athlete? So when I was in high school, one of my teachers, her husband was an All-American at Temple and at that time was going to get a chance to play professionally. So I reached out to him. Like, I'm thinking, okay, well, what else do I need to do right now that could help me get to where he is? And, you know, he was not very open to me. Mm. And I always remembered that. He really didn't try to empower me with mm. anything. So I went to him and I said, you know, what can I do? What can? And he basically said, well, you know, it looks like you're on a good path. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. No, that's not I, that's not what I needed to hear. I need yeah. to hear some some life lessons. So because I didn't get that from when I got to the position I was in, I always said, I'm going to give that. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. why I would, I'd always reach back to high school and college and just even, even younger guys that were in the pros with me, I would reach back to. Some of my greatest teachers in teaching me, you know, how I want to be when I get older were people who taught me how I don't want to be. That to me was just as important. I had a couple of teachers and a couple of coaches that I knew if and when I'm ever a teacher, I'm not going to be that teacher. And then when I'm ever right. a coach, I'm not going to be that coach. So they helped me, but not by trying to, just by teaching right. me what what's wrong. Hey, Carlos, man, I respect and admire everything you're about, man. It just, uh, you know, being an athlete and being wanting to be better and thinking about mentors, it's like, Every kid that's around you around should be with guys like you because I really feel like there's even though we hear about sometimes people like you, there's not a lot of them out there. And these kids are attracted to social media and listening to a bunch of crap and negative energy and negative stuff. But every time I hear someone like you speak and just what you're about, it just kind of inspires me. So but I have to ask you this. I know you're a big strong dude. What's up with this power curling chip uh, record you have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after football, you know, I got into some bodybuilding. Like when I was playing football, they would always say, you look like a bodybuilder. Like I really didn't know what that meant other than like, like I was fit. I looked like I worked out. A lot of football players don't look like that. But when I was done playing, I'd always say, well, if I still like to lift weights, I probably will bodybuild. So for a number of years, I, I was bodybuilding. The best I ever did in that, I won I won uh, Mr. Pennsylvania heavyweight champ about three times. And then I, I finished nationally. Fifth was the highest I ever, ever finished nas nationally. But I always competed natural. So that was another thing that I looked at. I'm, I'm not going to compete. I'm not going to do steroids. That's not going to be part of me as an athlete, as a football player, as a bodybuilder. So I competed naturally in that. And so I was kind of done with the performance sports. And then a guy 
guy walked up to me in the gym. This guy, Brad, and his dad, Bert, they were powerlifters. So, you know, benching, squatting, deadlifting. And then they said, well, they just started this new power curling thing. I think you would be good at it. I go, well, what's the record? <laughs> and I think at that time, I think the record was like 180. And so we're in the gym right at that moment. And it was a bar there. And I go, all right, what's on this bar? So I, it was like 165, 170. And I picked it up and I like just curled it like about four times. And so Brad <laughs> says, let's go to a competition next week. So, <laughs> so we go to the competition and it's just like a strict stand up curl. You know, you lock your knees, you pull it up. And every week we would go, I would break the record. I would just break the record. So I think it, I think I ended at 210. My best lift was 220, which they actually DQ'd me on, which annoyed me. They they disqualified me on that lift. But you know, I got to that point and I kind of said, that's enough of this. <laughs> so that was fun. That was some fun times with Brad and Bert. That was good stuff. Well, Carlos, anything else you'd like to let people know when they're watching or listening? What I would like them to know is. If you're a student athlete or if you're a parent or a mentor to a student athlete, keep their mind active. You have to be focused on your sport, but you have to have your mind stimulated also. And always don't look outside of yourself. Challenge you to be the best you can be within you. And I think if you work at doing that, compete with yourself, you'll make yourself and your parents and your neighborhood proud as they can be. So other than that, I would say look for uh, International Student Athlete Academy, ISAA. We're in the Delaware Valley. And if anyone ever wanted to donate to, they can just look up our website and do it that way. I'm going to talk to you about that when I see you at the gym, because, uh, you know, my whole career has really been promoting nonprofits. So we'll, we'll have a okay. talk about if there's some way I can help you there. Excellent. I appreciate that. And I want to thank you gentlemen for uh, extending this forum and, and asking me to be on. I feel honored and I greatly appreciate it. Well, same here. Thank you. It's great to meet you. Yeah. We're so happy to have you on here, Carlos. I can't even tell you, but thanks very much for uh, helping make it happen. And thanks for uh, being the guy you are. I, I know down at the gym, you, you have a pretty exalted place down there, but you don't act like you're the king, even though you are the king. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rob. <laughs> All right, Carlos. Take care, my All man. Right, have a good day. You too. Right, you guys too. Take all care. Right, buddy. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed hearing Carlos's perspective on life and learning. And every time he talks about athletes, it's student athletes. He's concerned with athletes' time after they retire and helps people prepare for other parts of life. He is involved now in a project to develop a safer football helmet, and he talked about his nonprofit for student-athletes. He's just a real citizen of the world, and he's looking to do good things to make people's lives better. I enjoyed Carlos, uh, his conversation. What a great guy. I love to hear about how, uh, as a young kid, he was learning lessons from his, his mom as being a giver. And that it wasn't real complex. It was like, hey, just 
just be a good person, do the best you can do, whatever you're doing. And he's kind of spreading that message. But I like his foundation, the International Student Athlete Academy, how they impact uh, young athletes and how they try to keep their minds active as well as their body. And I also enjoyed the story about him being a bodybuilder and being yeah. Mr. Pennsylvania and, uh, you know, curling tons of weight. Pretty funny. But uh, what a great guy. What a, great lessons. And, and all the kids who work around, are with him. I'm sure the parents are proud that he's the guy leading and mentor. I know that's true. And uh, and I'm one of them. He worked with Jake, even though uh, nobody asked him to. That's just the way he is. So thanks for joining us today and come back again next week for our next 3P champion. Thanks so much. Take care.